Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schellenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national best-selling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world, an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you might be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have a very talented guest with us today. He's one of the most accomplished and influential voices in the world of sales. Welcome, Andy Paul. Steve, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, you bet, and we're so excited to have you here and can't wait to hear some of the things that you can share with our listeners that will help improve their capacity to communicate and be more effective in the world of sales and persuasion and serving needs. This is going to be fun. Good. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, let me just tell you a little about Andy. He's a best-selling author. He's a podcast host, an international sales guru whose work has helped thousands of sellers get unstuck and accelerate their sales. His first book, Zero Time Selling, won Top Sales World's Awards as one of the top three sales books of 2011. And his most recent book, Amp Up Your Sales, is one of Amazon's top-rated sales books of all time. Uh, Andy's weekly podcast, Accelerate, is the go-to resource for the latest insights and strategies from world-class experts in sales. Uh, Sales enablement. Uh, enablement, uh, marketing, and leadership. Uh, his career has spanned from selling shoes at JCPenney's to selling multi-million dollar communication networks to some of the world's largest companies. And since founding Zero Time Selling Inc. in 2000, Andy has advised CEOs how to accelerate and transform their corporate sales productivity. Uh, I enjoyed reading uh, and got a bunch of ideas from Zero Time Selling. Uh, you'd be interesting, Andy, that uh, as I read it, we have a major uh, second stage invitation for a proposal we made in San Diego, of all places, with uh, a large utility there. And I got some ideas that I think will really help us. So good going. Oh, well, thank you. That, that's, that's why you wrote the book. That's right. That's why this podcast's already paying off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Andy, tell us about your background so that people can get to know you better. Uh, you have such an interesting background and experiences. And as you reflect on your life, what were what have been some of the key turning points? Uh, where did you grow up? And what are the things that had an impact on your life? Gosh, well, I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin and Madison, Wisconsin. And probably one of the key turning points early in my life is right before my senior year of high school, my dad got transferred for business from Madison, Wisconsin to Tokyo, Japan. And so I sort of wrenched out of my, my existence, a comfortable existence where I'd been for 17 years, right before senior year of high school, landed in Tokyo. And um, yeah, I think that really sort of 
set me on a different path in life. I think I, I probably would have had stayed in Madison. I probably would have stayed and gone to the you know great University of Wisconsin there in Madison. But it just would have been a different life path. And I think it just opened things up for me. I ended up going to school in California and you know getting involved in the technology field. And I think life took a – and I met <laughs> in Tokyo. I met the woman that – as I like to say, first love of my life, and 35 years later, we got married. Um, <laughs> that, that uh, you know, lots of things happened as a result of that, that I think, yeah, set me on a different path. So that was, that was probably a really big, big thing. And, and, uh, and I think choosing to get into sales as a profession was, was certainly nothing I really contemplated while I was going to school, but I was one of these you know, prototypical liberal arts majors with no marketable skills when I came out of school. And uh, yeah, found somebody who was willing to take a chance on on hiring me. Uh, a company called Burroughs. It was a big computer company at the time. Sure. And yeah, found that even though I didn't, <laughs> I didn't necessarily uh, fit the mold of who they typically hired, and I didn't necessarily act like the way they they the typical people they hired. But uh, yeah, I had a successful career and found a way to form a forge a path and a career path in sales that you know, worked out quite well. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that, particularly about the experience of moving to Japan, because as we're bumping along through life and just cooking along, sometimes there are some really big changes that come in our life. And we have some choices. We can either embrace it and try to make the best of it and ultimately find out it was a huge positive impact, or we can kind of fight it and and mope or get discouraged or a whole lot of options. Uh, how did you handle that change? And sounds like it had really a tremendous impact for you. Well, it did. I, well, the, yeah, my first, first reaction, because actually my father <laughs> came home from work uh, July 31st. I remember the date. So 30 <laughs> days before the start of school and said, look, we have to be in Tokyo in 30 days. Oh. So I didn't really have a lot of time even to think about it. But my first reaction was, well, I'm not going. <laughs> you guys have a good time, but I'm not going. And my parents, to their credit, you know, didn't even entertain that notion because they knew that <laughs> this would have been a, a transformative experience for me. So, uh, yeah, so once we went, it, yeah, you have, to, you have to embrace it. And it was, gosh, it was completely different. You know, I, in Madison, I, I could, you know, had a lived, gosh, I, could, I lived within a half mile of my elementary school and junior high and maybe a mile and a half from my high school and, yeah, in Tokyo, I, I took the train. It's an hour and forty-five minutes each way. Wow! To get to school, so it was you know, going from lived in the center of Tokyo, commuting out to the suburbs. So it was, you know, it was a radically different experience, and so you had to sort of embrace it. And I just met a lot of great people and had a tremendous amount of you know great, unique experiences there. And actually, I ended up going back my summers during college and working in Tokyo. And it just you know Japan became a big part of my life. So um, yeah. Yeah, you just, you know, it took, it took a few weeks, I think. But, <laughs> but then once we were there, yeah, I was on board with the program. And, and like I said, it really made a difference for me. Well, uh, Andy, in our uh, Becoming Your Best uh, leadership seminars, one of the things that we talk about is how important one aspect, anyhow, of our success is programming our minds for success. And sometimes things happen that uh, we just really don't have control over. And so one of the things I recommend is developing the habit of saying, what a blessing. <laughs> and then think of a reason why it is so. And all of a sudden, all the doors start opening. You appreciate the blessings you do have, and you can make the best of it. And sounds like that's what you did in, in Tokyo and Japan and, 
Well, I'm just also a big believer in the power of positive thinking. I'm very, I just have this sort of optimistic outlook on life. And I think that that, you know, if you can have that, and I think everybody can acquire this, it's, it makes such a huge difference. You know, if you think that, that there's something that you can achieve, and in my life, I'm always looking at, you know, I'm, you know, on the, the downside of my career in terms of age, but <laughs> yeah, I'm always still thinking about what can I achieve? What can I do? What can I accomplish? Um, and just never being sort of satisfied that, you know, have been dealt this hand and life sucks. It's dead. <laughs> what can I do? Okay. That's great. Well, that's an important message. Now, there's a lot of people that are listening uh, in on this podcast and who are in the very same place, perhaps, or at least similar to where you were. They're in a liberal, liberal arts uh, focus, and all of a sudden you ended up in a maybe a different place than you thought you may be at Burroughs. So what led to that change? Uh, that was a pretty big change. Well, yeah, part was necessity, but it was... You know, as I thought, geez, how do I how do I start forging a career when I was young? And I think part of what appealed to me about going into sales was that just sort of that that freedom of knowing that at the end of the day, I sort of had direct control over what I achieved, as opposed to being in sort of an office job or an office environment where you know, sort of hard to really say, okay, well, what did you do? Right? Sales is pretty unambiguous. You know, this this is what I achieved, and that that part appealed to me. So um, I think that's what drove me sort of in that direction once I got out of school and, and started thinking about what I wanted to do. And that continued to be a real attraction to me. You know, having this amount of control over, over you know, what I, what the steps I take to achieve in life, you know, it's very important. And having that direct feedback, uh, I always found appealing. So that's, that's what sort of took me in that direction. Okay. And I'm really looking forward to... Um talking about what's in your books, which are really terrific, um, but also just generally getting your thoughts. Now, uh, two things have come to mind is as you just step back now, you've had a tremendous career in sales, you've helped, you've coached, you've taught a lot of other people. What would you say are some of the really critical elements of being successful in sales? Well, the most important thing is, is to, in my mind, is that selling is about the customer. You know, it's really, it's, it's about service that you're providing to somebody to help them make a decision. And, you know, this is nothing I, not a perspective I necessarily, you know, had right at the beginning. You know, it's something I, I learned through repetition is, you know, what, what enabled me to make connections, build rapport with people over, you know, multiple different continents and different types of products. And the, the commonality was is, is, you know, making that initial connection. Well, the way you make that connection, because I really believe that the beginning, at the end of the day, is the, the real differentiation starts with the salesperson, you know, between companies, between competitors and environment. And so I made myself that difference. And it was about being focused on the customer, you know, so instead of coming in and doing the, you know, hey, let's do the corporate pitch and let's make it all about us, is let's start with questions about what they're interested in, what they're trying to achieve, what they're trying to accomplish in their business, in their lives, get to know them. And by making it about them and helping them get job done that they're trying to achieve, that really is the key to success. Okay, well, that's tremendous advice. That's really fabulous. Uh, sometimes people... Uh, look at somebody that's very successful, that's had a big-time career, 
and they think they haven't had setbacks, uh, that they haven't suffered even a failure maybe. Have you had any in your life? And <laughs> if so, how did you overcome it? What was the <laughs> impact for you? Well, I mean, I worked at, uh, let's see, seven different venture-funded startups in Silicon Valley, and they weren't all successes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I gosh, early in my career, I think about five months after my, my ex-wife and I had, had uh, bought our first house, you know, young, young kids, not even 30 years old, bought our first house, um, I got laid off by a tech startup. You know, the startup didn't, didn't work. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I contributed to the fact that it didn't work. And so we're saying there's, you know, big mortgage and, and, uh, no job. You know, we just taken on this obligation. So it, you know, you sort of have to sit back and, you know, learn the lessons about, you know, what, what you could have done differently in that environment. And you know, then look for situations also that are better suited for my skills. So one of the lessons I learned from that company is, you know, I hadn't spent enough time making sure that I was really a fit for what for their culture and what they were trying to achieve and the people they had there. And I was more attracted by sort of the the lure of what I thought they were trying to achieve, which was indeed interesting. But the people, you know, if you can't work with the people, you don't can't fit with the culture. It's not going to be a success. And so. For me, the lesson was I had to spend a lot more time making sure that the, the culture of the company that I was getting into, you know, the way they handled their work and the way they did their work uh, aligned with my values. And having done that, then, you know, that was a huge lesson I learned. And I've been able to apply that every place I've been since then. Okay, yeah. So a couple of big messages there. One is to really take a good look and keep building your skills that, so that you can make a difference, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's... It, it, Absolutely. I mean, sales in general, I mean, independent of, of, you know, which company you work at and so on, is you as a professional, you have an obligation. I think that this is really a, a term that you really need to think about if you're in sales is you are a professional. It's as much as you are any other professions that maybe you don't have the certifications like you do doctors, lawyers, and so on. But it's, it is a similar serious profession is you need to continually educate yourself. And you can't just rely on your employer to do that. You need to read books. You need to read Especially these days, when you have all these like your podcasts and books and blogs and so much of information available online, you need to continually make it take advantage of that to continually improve yourself. And unfortunately, in sales, it, it's it's not happening as much as it needs to across the profession. You know, more people have to say, "Look, I can't rely on my employer to train me." I mean, that's great when they do, but the rest of the time, I need to be out proactively searching out these sources of information that can help me become better at what I do. Okay. Boy, I, I'm just so on board with that. I saw a statistic the other day, Andy, that 43% of college graduates never read another book. After, after they graduate. Yeah, after they graduate. <laughs> yeah, and I, think, well, and I think one of the things that happens, I mean, I, I see my son who's in his late 20s, reads constantly, but not books. So, I mean, he's reading serious articles online and so on but not not books and you know we've had a conversation about that 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 you still need to keep books in the mix there's a reason books are important yeah you know the long form is important and um yeah no i think it's but i mean it's on the other hand the flip side is that's why they're also the millennials are listening to podcasts more and and uh, you know consuming their information the way that that you're delivering it yeah no exactly so so that's a very good point, that the, a determination, if you want to be the best at what you do, you really need to gain the skills. And, 
and have the right attitude. And then you point. When I think it's not just, I'll, I'll clarify though. It's not just skills, though. I mean, it's 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 wisdom. It's it's knowledge. It's it's you know, giving yourself a context from which to develop your skills. Right? Wonderful. You have that base of understanding. And the only way you get that is exposing yourself to lots of different situations in life and lots of different uh, you know, influences, books and podcasts and so on. That, to me, that's, without that, you can't develop the skills. You've got to have that, that curiosity at all times. Mm, I love that. I'm so glad you added that. Uh, the uh, second thing that uh, you talked about was looking for a company that you like to be with, that you want to make a contribution to so that you enjoy going to work. <laughs> so that's a big part of success as well. So how, what, any advice for that for our listeners? How do you kind of pair up a line with a company where you feel like you really fit? Well, I think for a lot of people, it's, it's listening to your gut. And, you know, as young people, we don't do that enough or we didn't do that enough when we were young. Because maybe we were, you know, the sort of what I call the, you know, the bright, shiny object uh, situation is, is we thought, okay, this company, yeah, this is cool technology they're working on. I really want to be a part of that. And you overlook the fact that, that the person that you interviewed with that you might have to work with or work for was somebody you just didn't like. Mm-hmm. But you were so, you know, the shiny, bright, shiny object had your attention so much. So you have to learn to listen to your gut because your gut was telling you, yeah, that's not, this is not going to be good. And you're going to know that, that. So listen to your gut. That's really the thing I tell people is when you're looking at a new company, do your due diligence. When you talk to the people, yeah, really listen, pay attention to what your heart's telling you. And then, you know, make a decision, you know, taking that into account. Great. Yeah, well, it's fun to work with good people, isn't it? It makes all the difference in the world. I mean, my, my best work experiences outside of having my own company were in environments where yeah, there were just so many really smart people, capable, talented people that, that uh, you know, it's just a pleasure to go to work and, and uh, not that there weren't frustrations, but it's generally it's a pleasure to go to work and interact with them. Yeah. Okay, well, great. Now, Andy has written uh, at least two books. Two books, not just two at this point. Working on more. Okay. Zero Time Selling, The 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. And then the most recent one is Amp Up Your Sales. And uh, it's a, those are powerful strategies that move customers to make fast, favorable decisions. So do you mind telling us about these two books? I'd love to just hear your synopsis and any General sure. feelings. I have a couple of specific questions, but tell sure. us about them. How did they come about? And they're they're terrific, by the way, for our well, for you. our listeners. They're going to be a, a great investment for every person that's listening that's in sales. These are two must books to have. Well, I think that the the first book, sort of the genesis was when I I'd mentioned before we went on there that I had gotten remarried a number of six years ago and and moved from San Diego to New York. And I had, my business had been sort of based in California at that point in time, and all my clients were there. And so here I was in New York saying, okay, what am I going to do? And I'd always wanted to write a book, but I just had never had. So I said, let's do it. So I sat down, uh, wrote Zero Time Selling, and thinking that, like a lot of people, it's just going to be sort of a calling card, like for many consultants. But it actually turned out to be something that <laughs> gathered much, garnered a much bigger audience than I, than I thought it would. But the the message is, is that in zero time selling, it starts with the premise that in today's competitive environments, that when it's really hard to 
for any company to sort of establish and maintain any sort of meaningful product differentiation between them and their competitors, that the first line of differentiation between you and your competitors is you, the salesperson. And so zero-time selling is based on what can you do as a salesperson, as a sales organization, by how you sell, make a difference in terms of winning the business. So I say is, you know, how you sell is actually more important than what you sell these days when you're in markets where you have a lot of competitors and products are sort of viewed as commodities by the customers. So how do you get yourself in the position of winning that emotional commitment from the buyer before they make that actual decision to give you the order? And that's what that focuses on. Okay, good. Now tell us about the other one. So amp, amp up your sales sort of extends some of the concepts in zero-time selling, but it's, it's really about this idea of value. And value is something we talk about a lot in sales these days. You need to be able to add value. You need to be able to deliver value to, the, to your buyers. But I, I break it down even further and say, look, at the, at the heart of every sales transaction, there's this exchange between the buyer and yourself. And the buyer is going to invest some of their time in you. They're going to give you some of their time. And in return, you have to give them something of value. And if you, if you can't always give them value for the time they give you, then eventually you're going to lose the ability to sell to them because they'll stop giving you their time or their attention. So uh, it sort of starts from that as the premise of then how do you, every time you interact with your buyer, how do you deliver something of value to them? And extends that out through you know, how you prospect, how you qualify, how you do discovery, and how you make sure that, that you are, um, like I said, winning sort of the hearts and minds of the prospect at that emotional level before they make that final decision. Okay. Well, those are good. Uh, now, let's just, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to dig in a little deeper uh, on sure. this zero-time selling. Sure. Now, tell us who Milt is and why Milt's <laughs> so important. <laughs> yeah, so Milt, Milt is, is, is funny how that came about because I, I was writing the book and came, across this, came up with this acronym of Milt, which is uh, selling with maximum impact in the least time. And and I turned him into a, a character in the book, sort of my, uh, my doppelganger, if you will, to some degree, or my, my alter ego uh, throughout the book. But the concept is, is you know, selling with maximum impact in the least time, which is, yeah, every time you have the opportunity to interact with a value, or interact with a prospect, excuse me, or a customer, is how can you sell with the maximum impact, meaning how can you deliver the maximum value with the least investment of their time possible? Because... You know, when your buyers are setting out to make a decision about to evaluate your product or service for purchase, their goal is not to spend a lot of time with you. you know, their, their goal is to spend as, the least amount of time with you possible in order to achieve the task of making a good decision. And so you have an obligation, if you want to be able to be of best optimum service to them, is to say, okay, well, how can I help you move through your buying process with the least investment of your time? And doing that by focusing on every time I have the chance to interact, I'm going to provide something of maximum impact or maximum value. And I love the thinking that that causes to sharpen your message, especially in today's world where people may be a little less patient than they've been in the past. It's a fast-moving world. Well, it, but it, and it really – what it does is it forces salespeople and sellers in general to be very thoughtful and deliberate. See, see I'm talking about being very fast but being deliberate. And they're not – antithetical. In fact, you know, one goes with the other because what you want to make sure is that every time, it doesn't matter how big or how small the contact is with a, with a prospect or a customer, is you want to give them something of value. And if you don't, that's a problem. 
so the perfect example is you know salespeople and you know you, I imagine you're guilty have been guilty of this. I certainly have, was at one point in my career too. Is is you know making the prototypical check-in call to a prospect. You know, hey, Mr. Prospect, this is Andy. Yeah, I know it's been a couple weeks since we last talked, but yeah, I don't have really anything new to, do, new to talk about. I just wanted to check in, see how things are going. Well, what'd you do? You just consumed some of that prospect's time, and what did they get in return from you? Yeah, zip. Zip. So if you keep doing that, what's going to happen? They're going to stop listening to you. They're going to stop answering your calls. They're not, you know, you're not adding anything of value to them. They don't have time for that. So that's sort of a, the concept is, you know, Every every interaction has to have something of value delivered. If it doesn't, don't do it. Oh, that's terrific. So in other words, don't just follow up. When you make your next contact, have something in your an arrow in your quiver of something that can lift them or build them or solve a problem or get a little further. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Exactly. And so you should know Ooh, I as love a that. sales rep at any time, any point in time, you should know the answer to the question. If your manager came to you and said, okay, what What's the customer need from us today in order to make one step or move one step closer to making a decision? What information, what value, what questions can we answer? What questions can we ask? What you know, information of context do we have to provide? What do they need from us? Ooh, I so like that. Yeah. You need to be able to answer that as a rep. If you don't know that, you don't know your prospect. You're not in touch with them. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's tremendous. I mean, these are golden recommendations. These are worth gold. And and there's two others that really caught my attention. Sure. Uh, one is, uh, again, and this is in the Zero Time Selling book, uh, one of the things that Andy recommends is he, he has this list of 10. One is follow up 100% of your sales leads. And then the second one that's kind of interesting is disqualify the losers. Yeah. Yes. So... Do you mind taking just a moment on those two? Because I think sure. you're right on on that, uh, you know, on those, both of those. But how do if you balance them? How do you know what to do? And you, how do you follow up on everything? How does that look? Sure. So, you know, if you're, if you're, let's say, a small, mid-sized business and you're investing money in lead generation, as you should be doing, and you're getting inbound leads, is, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you don't follow up on them. You know, too often salespeople look at a lead, especially if it comes from marketing, and they say, well, that's no good. <laughs> that's no good. That's a marketing lead. That's no good. And, you know, you can't do that. You can't make the assumption they're no good. You, they, you only know they're no good if you follow up with them and find out whether they're good or not. And, you know, there's sort of this epidemic of bad follow-up or poor follow-up or non-existent follow-up that exists within sales. I mean, surveys show a range of, of performance that's at the worst is, you know, fully 70% of sales, inbound sales leads are never followed up oh my or goodness. adequately followed up. Oh, And so think of all the money that's, that's being tossed on the drain by companies that are investing in lead generation, then the leads aren't followed up. Oh, my goodness. So follow up because studies show, there have been studies done by some researchers at MIT showed that, you know, if you follow up within five minutes versus 30 minutes, makes a huge difference. I mean, it's like your ability to turn that into a prospect like grows by like 21 times. So it's not, it's not insignificant. And so and if you wait more than 30 minutes, you know, the odds of ever reaching that prospect drop substantially. And so there is this, this, this shelf life of a lead. And so you have to jump on it when you have the opportunity. And then further studies show that, and I think in the business-to-business -business world, it's like, Roughly 50% of companies buy from the first comp you know, seller they talk to, the first one that responds. 
So it's you know you have this huge first mover advantage if you're well prepared to sell with with you know maximum value, maximum impact if you follow up your lead. So that is really important. And so I talk about in the book is instead of treating treating leads like nuclear waste as many people do is you know to me I always looked at them like lottery tickets. Yeah, you great. Know, it's, it's and yeah, I couldn't wait to scratch off the surface and see see what uh, what happened and. And I talk about when I talk in public events, and I say, you know, there's $24 billion worth of lottery tickets sold every year in this country. And if you say, okay, well, gosh, 70% of sales leads are never followed up, does anybody think that 70% of lottery tickets are never scratched? Wow. Of course, of course not, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you can't wait to find out what it is. But you don't know what the value is until now. you scratch off. Right. So same thing with your lead. You don't know what the value is to interact with them. Go interact with them. They may not be prospects, but that's fine. Not everybody's going to be a prospect or a fit for what you want. The second thing in terms of um, disqualifying the losers is the problem is that we have some perverse incentives that are set up in a lot of companies is that they focus on the size of their pipeline. So, you know, as a manager, they're given an incentive to make sure their pipeline covers, you know, you know, four times the size of their revenue target or something like that. Well, that incentive, you know, provides the motivation for the pipeline to be filled with prospects that are never going to buy from you. And so your job really as a sales rep and as a sales manager is to ruthlessly, ruthlessly pair out of your pipeline those prospects that really are not going to buy from you. And in the book, I you know, give a very simple, sort of simple set of rules about how do, you, how do you qualify or really disqualify prospects that aren't a fit, an exact fit for what you're selling. And, but that, that's a task that is not a one-time event. You know, as you get a prospect... You know, you might do an initial qualification and, yeah, they fit your ideal client profile. Maybe they've got the, the need. Maybe they have budget. But as you continually go through the sales process and you fine-tune what the requirements and their, you know, their aspirations are and their objectives and how you can meet those, maybe you find that you're not as good a fit. And as a consequence that your ability to win the business is going to go down, well, hey, it's never too late to disqualify. But you need to keep qualifying people repeatedly throughout your your sales process. It's not a one and done process. Yeah. Because the prospect changes as you sell to them. So you also need to keep an eye on, you know, is there an opportunity to to still work with them or yeah, we're just not going to this is not for us. Yeah, you don't want to burn the bridges with them. No, and you'll do that sometimes if you um, you know, insist on selling to them. You know, it's oftentimes so it's and there's That's a good I've point. seen this multiple times in my career with people I worked with, I've seen it with myself where I you know, I'll, if I'm up front with a prospect, even if we're halfway into the sales cycle, I'll say, look, you know, based on where this is heading, I'm just going to tell you, we're not a fit for you anymore. And I don't think you're a fit for what we do. Man, do they appreciate that. Oh, and they okay. come back to you later on. And I've got business later on from companies from having done that, being upfront, honest, operating with integrity. And then they come back and say, yeah, we'd like to do business with you later on. Well, I cannot believe how fast uh, these podcasts go. We're, <laughs> we're out of time. And Andy is such a huge resource. I'm so grateful for the things that you shared today. Uh, any last words to our listeners? And then uh, I'd love to have you share with our listeners how they can learn more about you. But uh, any final shots uh, today, Andy, Paul? Focus on the customer. Every time you interact with the customer and prospect, give them something of value. Okay. And those are my, my words of wisdom, final words of wisdom for the day. That's, that's um, words of gold. Yeah. And as far as, yeah, contacting me, um, 
yeah, as you mentioned, I have a podcast. Actually, it, it's you had mentioned it was a weekly before. It's actually a six day a week podcast Woo-hoo! on sales. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it's it's called Accelerate with an exclamation mark with Andy Paul. Obviously, find on iTunes. You find my website at andypaul.com. And yeah, I urge people if you're in sales, you're an entrepreneur, you're in business development, marketing. It's it's we cover all those topics. You should come come listen. And um, yeah, my website andypaul.com. If you want to connect with me. Yeah, just send me an email at andy at andypaul.com uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. It's the forward slash zero time selling. And uh, follow me on Twitter, zero time selling as well. Terrific. And if you would like his books, they're available on Amazon and virtually every other major seller, Barnes and Noble, etc. That's correct. Okay. Well, thank you, Andy Paul, for being part of this show today. Well, Steve, uh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Oh, you bet. Uh, The ideas that uh, Andy has shared uh, will be really invaluable for anyone in the sales world uh, or that's interested in the sales world and wants to move their game up individually and as an organization. So we wish you all the best as you're making a difference in the world. Good job. Okay, and to all of our listeners, never forget, you too can make a difference every single day of your life. I'm Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best, wishing you a great day. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becoming Your Best podcast. We want to know what your big takeaways were, so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating and review. A rating and review is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them. So now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.